Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Tuesday Night Live with Bigfooty Crowcast. Obviously, Tuesday nights are brought to you by Bigfooty.com, and we have with us hosting us tonight is Peter J. How are you going, Peter? Phoenix, uh, very well, thank you. Thanks very much for that little intro, and, and good evening, everybody. Good to have everybody with you, um, with us, I should say, on Tuesday Night Live. It's uh, good to have everybody listening live and Joining in the chat, there's always an opportunity to get in there and have a bit of a chat as well, so uh, so please access that, and um, we'll try and uh, keep you entertained with a little bit of chat over the next uh, 45 minutes or so with uh, with Phoenix, of course, and Nikki. How are you, Nikki? Not too bad. That's What's a lie. Everybody... Oh, yes, that is a bit of a lie. What's really happening there, Nikki? What happened? <laughs> um, I played football on the weekend, and I might have a slight, my very mild case of concussion. How did it happen, Nikki? Talk us through it. Ah, uh, good old hip and shoulder. You're not Took supposed. The hit. To, you're not supposed to hip and shoulder the ump. <laughs> I didn't. It was a girl who hip and shouldered me. Brace myself. Um, absorbed the hit, but then my body decided. No, nah, I think we need to fall down now. So it did. Who do you who do you play for, Nikki? I play for Flinders Uni. And. Uh, how many other teams have you got in that competition? I'm just interested because, you know, it just leads us into a little bit of a topic, I guess. You know, we've talked about or we've seen a bit of chatter around about um, the women's football and and probably gives us, I'm not sure if we've covered it a lot, but just gives us an opportunity to have a little chat about where women's football is just at the moment and um, and, and perhaps being a player, how you see it, uh, see it developing and whether you think that the uh, the National League can take off. I think it can. Um, how many have we got? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So we've we've got ten teams um, in our division. So we're in Div Two because we're a new team. So if you're a new team, you automatically have to come and play in Div Two. Um, there's there's some good talent amongst there. There's some teams that are getting smashed. What sort of talent we're um, talking about? <laughs> Both. Is it worthwhile coming out and having a look? Oh, definitely yes. Um, we've it's interesting because on our team we've got I think including me there's only about four of us who've actually played the game before. And hang on, I'll just check the ladder. We were sitting third, but we had a loss on the weekend, so we've we've dropped back down to fourth. Um, but there's, there's, there's about, I reckon there's about five teams that are competing for the, the top four spots, which is quite good. And, and the fact that we're one of them is quite nice. And I think there's 10 teams as well in Div 1. Now, Vardy Magic of... asks if, if it's 18, is it normal 18 aside or is it 15 aside or yeah. 16 aside? No, nope, 18. Um, and full rules, exactly the same. We've had some interesting umpiring. I think they've, they've. I think they've kind of given a bit more leeway um, sometimes in games, and as players, we don't want that. We want the umpires to actually umpire correctly. I mean, if it's their pay it, because that's the only way we're going to learn. Um, but yeah, there, there's been an influx, and the thing is that the amateur leagues have brought in a rule that if you want girls teams, you have to have a women's team. So we played Gaza the other week and most of that team is actually made up of the mothers whose daughters play in the girls' team. And so they've come out to do it just so that their girls can keep playing footy. Gee, that's a big hell of a sacrifice for the mums yeah, to have to make it when they already do everything yeah. anyway. Do you think that, the um, Nikki, is the talent pool there, as you see it, is the talent pool there to, to support the National League? I think we've done the smart thing in aligning with the Northern Territory for me because South Australia actually used to be pretty decent at it, but I think a lot of the top girls kind of moved to Victoria because you had better opportunities there. And once they actually started to play those exhibition games um, and things like that, that that's going to attract the better players to move to where they've got a chance to actually be seen um, a bit more. So I think that the Women's League is probably, there's a good chance it's going to happen. I know some people have gotten quite upset about it because they're like, oh, my God, there's all these resources that have been taken away from the boys and they're going towards the girls. But you've got to grow the game. And 
I think the AFL is actually for once kind of doing the right thing is you've got to go for that higher level to get the attention and to get the media, et cetera, all on side. And we saw from that the the women's game last year actually outrated any of the other games played in the AFL that afternoon. So there is an audience there. I know it was a one-off thing, but there's something there that they can build upon. I know that from my perspective, having a bit of a background in junior coaching, there's a lot of girls that do play at the primary school level um, that obviously get lost, you know, after about uh, year seven or eight or even probably earlier, year five and six, really. Um, So I think with women's football, it's going to be a slow burn. They need to develop those pathways um, and formalise them a little bit more. But there's certainly, at, at primary school level, there's certainly interest um, from girls uh, to an extent yeah. that suggests that there is a future there of some description. And Wainsworth wanted to know what position I played. I'm not a ruckman. I'm not tall enough. But, yes, I do play fullback. I'm the one in control of the back lines who yell at everybody else and tells them closer to their um, man. Although, I, I, and that's what I do on the field. It's like, man up. And they're like, shouldn't we be calling woman up? Nah, stuff it, man up. <laughs> you know, it's and it's kind of funny that the boys who coach us, they're, they, they're trying to be mindful of using the right terminology and they're like, oh, we can't call you guys. And we're like, why not? That's what we call ourselves. We, we're perfectly fine with that. You're a, you can do it. So um, I have to be, say thank you. Shouldn't it be person up? <laughs> or nah, equal, we still say man up. Gender equality up or something? Well, it's certainly going to be uh, an interesting development next year, and, and to see how it goes. And uh, I, I see that um, it looks, it appears as though Adelaide is going to get the, the South Australian license. So it'll certainly be interesting to see how it goes next year for sure. Um, probably just, uh, I guess, moving back to uh, the uh, AFL topics. Um, anything that catched, or sorry, say caught your interest <laughs> over the weekend? <laughs> well, I did put a thread up on the board because we have discussed this. I know in our little off off-the-record chats that we, we kind of have in our secret squirrel place that we thought we'd bring back the Num Nut of the Week award that we kind of did every so often last year. So I put in some options and then I got requested to change it to not from Num Nut of the Week to Cockwomble. So definitely, definitely a Cockwomble. So it's now actually the Cockwombling Num Nut of the Week award. <laughs> so we... There, there were actually quite a few options and I put it down to five. I put it to a vote. We actually didn't get that many votes in. But so the options were Brendan Gale as CEO of Richmond for his stupid comments about how the coaching is not the issue. It's the fact that the players aren't listening. Um, hello, Brendan. That's called the coaching is an issue. Cockwomble. Uh, yep. I'm going to have so to come up with a sound for Cockwomble. <laughs> What's something, you know, remember the Wombles? Something to do with them. Um, Brendan Gale then got a, got a second nomination, but this time for his referencing the list management decision of that they went for the mature players because the fans wouldn't accept a rebuild. Cockwomble. Cock Definite cockwomble. And because he then got two, so I then decided, was it just Richmond for being Richmond? Definite cockwomble. Group cockwomble. The... Uh, the AFL umpire for the Stretchergate incident. Just a dickhead. In the, Sydney, <laughs> in the Sydney Brisbane game. And then Tom Lynch for giving a perfect example for Dunstall to rant about on the weekend. And I'm sorry, but for as bad as Richmond are and as, as ridiculous as some of Brendan Gale's comments are, <laughs> Chief gets my Cockwomble of the Week award. <laughs> Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna actually tweet that to him as well because what the hell? He just about kicked <laughs> it into the bloody Rashudo stand from two meters out, off the side of the boot. Oh as God. soon as he dropped it, it was off the side of the boot, and we because I had the perfect view of it, and it's just like, oh, this is gonna miss. Um, I saw it. I, I thought, oh, dribble foul, dribble foul. Here we go. Well, dribble foul. So even though it only got one vote. And we actually had two votes for the Richmond Bingo, so Richmond, and three votes for the Brendan Gale 
um, list management decision. I, I think I agree. I, I, I think Tom Lynch for just that little bit of stupidity because he's normally not that stupid, whereas Richmond are Richmond. And we could almost nominate them every week for something they're going to do. Yeah, Lynchy, well done. We're going to have to come up with some sort of trophy. A, um, a little award? Yeah, oh, God knows what that's going to look like. No, there is actually, I think somebody put it, I've seen, if you search, if you Google Urban Dictionary Cockwomble, somebody's actually <laughs> put a womble on the top of a rooster. There's an <laughs> image of it. So there we go. You've got it, Phoenix. All We've right. got an image we can use. <laughs> we're just going to have to, you know, bring it to life somehow. I don't know how that's going to happen, but we've got all season to work on it. So Lynch is our inaugural Cockwombler of the Week award. <laughs> yep, for, the, for this year. So people either in that thread I've got there or I'll start a new one each week when people need to think of um, some idiots. The honourable mention to, of course, the head of the A-League who complained about the kick and catch that happened. And oh, we that definitely was the, not... uh, was the, wasn't he the chair? Well, was the, the Adelaide chairman United? of the uh, Adelaide United? Oh, Adelaide chairman, United. Well, that's yeah. actually um, Greg Griffin, who used to be quite a footy bloke. He used to manage yeah. half of, like a lot of the uh, AFL players back in the day. He did, and Rob Gerard was in the after party as well. He was um, celebrating with the Adelaide United boys. So, but also well done to Adelaide United on an amazing final, and for uh, coming from uh, last. So they're pretty I absolutely good. agree with you, Nikki. They they should be congratulated. But I I have to say that I do think that um, in addition to the nominations that you mentioned, I think that there was a little bit of public cockwombling going on <laughs> by <laughs> one of by one of the great commentators in Simon Hill. And I don't know if you caught the uh, <laughs> the the, broad, the telecast. <clears throat> now I normally um, I love his work. I think he's just one of the best things that have happened to this country in terms of sports calling. He is yeah, he is good. Absolute genius, and I love him to bits. Um, and we could listen to him for hours. But <clears throat> did you notice in the pregame how he kept talking up Adelaide Oval as a cricket ground? Yes. <clears throat> and and he refused to make any reference to the fact that any other sport has played at that ground other than cricket. And he he led, you know, if you didn't know, he would have he led the viewers to believe that it was a very very sedate um, arena that would only hosted the uh, the dulcet tones of bat on ball, and that um, um, but but for the first time it was it was going to now have a thunderous crowd because it's got a football crowd that will make a noise that hasn't been seen since the Rolling Stones played <laughs> a concert. Sorry. Mm. So he, he just talked all the way around um, AFL football At that and, and was very, very careful to make sure that there was not a, even a hint that, uh, that that game was played at that oval. I thought there was some genuine cockwombling that went on from Simon Hill. That's a fair call. I, I think that's a very honourable mention. Very honourable uh, mention there. Not only that, but I think, you know, and all credit to Adelaide United, it's nice to see an Adelaide team actually get up and win a final. But... Like how many nationalities were represented in that team, and how many were actually, um, you know, the first sad- goal scorer was an Adelaide boy. Yeah, but he's only an he's not an Adelaide boy, born and bred though, is he? Um, Kamal, I think was that. I think he might have actually. I think he was actually born here. Are you sure about I'd that? Ha- I don't I'd know have about to, that. I have to check. Jet, um, Bruce Jete. Uh, I think it's hilarious that we've got Bruce Jete, <laughs> Bruce Kamal. <laughs> <laughs> that, that kind of there's some really awkward names there from the seventies. I think I think he was either I think he was possibly born here. Bruce Jute? No, he wasn't. He's not a, no, not not Jute, but Kamal. I think might have been. Okay, I thought he was an Indian singer until recently, but <laughs> no, he's a, no, he's a was, pretty nice winger. <laughs> I mean, considering that where they came, I mean, they didn't win for the first two months, and for them to basically go, what was it? Uh, 21 or 22 games without a loss after that or with one loss um, and get up over uh, the Wanderers in the final. I mean, all credit to them. It was good to uh, good to see an Adelaide team put one over the uh, Eastern Seaboard. The really interesting thing that was mentioned was talking about Guillermo Amor and how he's brought the Barcelona to total football, which people think of as quite attacking. 
but Barcelona do that from the base of total team defence. And don't we have a coach in our team who talks about total football and working from the base of the team defence? So, oh, there we go. Vardy, mate, he said he was actually born in Kenya. Yeah, but I think he, right. moved here when he, he moved here when he was very young. I think he was only about two or three. So he's grown up, essentially, um, here. So I don't think he actually remembers. Um, there we go. Moved here age four. Yeah, that's but, fair enough. So we're, we're should, him. he should actually ring in and give us a soccer report. Yeah, because he seems to know more good. about it than any of us. But I think there's, I think there's a nice parallel with Amore and Pike, and that mention of the the total football really caught my eye or my ear in in the way because of what Pike had been talking about in preseason about that whole concept that he has of total football. Yeah, but the thing is, total football is a phrase coined by the Dutch teams. The, the Dutch teams, their style of soccer, if we want to start talking about bloody soccer, <laughs> that, it's, their, it's their concept, total football is their concept. So I think it's, I mean, I, I agree that um, uh, Pikey certainly talked about, but I think it's a, a, a phrase that's coined fairly regularly now. Um, but certainly uh, the Dutch were the originators of what they would call total football uh, in the round ball game. There's, there's never an original um, an original idea. It's always from somebody else. We've got Spackler on the chat tonight. Oh, my God. Bloody hell, he's a turn-up. He's, he's buying the, uh, the Tony Popovic line of... Uh of long balls being used by Adelaide Oval and makes the fair point of uh, why would Greg Griffin have care- cared about the uh, the state of the pitch if we were just going to be bombing long balls uh, all uh, all afternoon. <laughs> but I, I think it was a bit pedantic from, from Greg and, and um, they, they're, they're a little bit fussy about the state of the pitch and I noticed that Simon Hill referred to it a couple of times in the call as well and that it was sort of bobbling a little bit. And uh, at the end of the day, I mean, I've heard Simon Hill complain about um, the state of pitches and things like that. And, you know, the reality is, is that if you've got a big enough game and you, you know you can you know you can draw enough money, then you can build your own stadiums and have your own you know pitches. But as it is, as wonderful as that was on Sunday, and all credit to everybody, the reality is is, is that next year round one when Adelaide play Central <coughs> Coast or Newcastle or Wellington, there'll be five thousand at Hindmarsh. No, normally they get about twelve. <laughs> Yeah, they, oh, they do okay. get well, double figures. They 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 do decently oh, at high I reckon no. Well, probably five is a bit harsh, but they, they wouldn't often get twelve against some of the bigger clubs. But if you, some of the more rubbish clubs, they would get seven or eight thousand at times. But even okay, depends let's on say the they timing. get twelve. Let's let's give it twelve. Even so, you know, let's say they get twelve thousand. They're still you know they're still not even packing out high marsh, so they can't expect that they're going to you know have fifty thousand you know people stadiums that are going to be you know catering to soccer. It's not going to happen. It's an interesting conversation, though, because you could you could make a fair um, argument that the redevelopment of Adelaide Oval has led to bigger average crowds um, for particularly Port. Um, so it makes you wonder whether they, if they did improve the facilities, whether they redeveloped High Marsh and, and increased the capacity or whether they built another stadium, not that that's going to happen, whether those crowds would actually lift. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a concrete jungle at High Marsh. So I, I don't know, um, Pete. I, soccer's definitely building in this country, and um, there weren't a lot of passengers in that fifty thousand crowd on the weekend. Most of them were pretty, uh, pretty passionate and vocal. And what gets me though to actually turn this back into AFL for is... Wayne's World benefit? <laughs> well, no, I was actually thinking this before he he posted that. I was going to mention this was the crowd at GWS. They were talking about 14,000 that were there against Hawthorne. And what a great crowd that was for GWS. And I'm thinking, I'm sorry, that's 14,000 people. That's not a great crowd. Yeah, look, I don't know. And they've they've been playing well. If they're playing well and they can only get 14,000, that's not sustainable. Yeah, but again, Not in the long run. you've got to play the long game with GWS. I mean, GWS are playing really well, and yet the people that they live are. in that vicinity would, wouldn't even understand that. So you know what Sydney and New South Wales people are like. 
until GWS actually wins something, um, nobody will give a shit. Yeah, I, 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 I tend to agree with Phoenix. I, th- I think that you've got to look at it in perspective and, and the fact that, you know, what they're trying to achieve there and where they've come from in terms of the crowds that they would normally attract out there. And, um, you know, it's very, very difficult for football to get a hold out there because it's just a, it's a massive rugby and soccer heartland and um, I, I think, you know, I tend to agree that, that 14,000, you know, is a good crowd. And those people will only just be starting to realise that they do have a good team and that there is a right to sell. So I, I think that overall, you know, I wouldn't have been, if you're the AFL, you're not too disappointed with 14,000 there. But the main thing is, is that it's a nice spectacle, it looks good on TV and they start getting some viewers. Yeah. Um, and we can't underestimate what they've actually achieved. I mean, yes, they've been handed you know, five years of first-round draft picks. But they got they absolutely hammered last year's premiers. Um, no one they, else has they, been able to do that this year. They got their recruiting right. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And Much the, the, more than Gold Coast. There was a graphic put up on one of the footy shows last night, um, you know, showing not only what they've got, but what they've got out and also what they've got lined up for next year. Um <laughs> There's going to be there's going to be some quality players on the market from GWS next year, um, just simply because they can't fit them all in. So uh, they're going to be a powerhouse over the next five years. And I think was it uh, Matty uh, Randell that predicted that they'd be the, the monsters yes. awoken or whatever it is? Well, he was dead set right. Yeah, I think what what they did of going for the quality experienced players, but then. The, one, the young ones they recruited around them, I think they kind of knew that they were going to get poached. So they got a whole lot of top, of the top quality forwards. So that if you took one or two, they still had that depth to use, which we've seen come through. I mean, like Lob, Lob on the weekend with those contested marks, they were fabulous. Yeah, and, you know... Um... Not that recruiting is a throw mud at the wall and see what sticks scenario, but in their case, they've basically been able to take a whole bunch of first and second round picks and throw them at the wall. And they can cherry pick from that group and still be left with some very marketable commodities at trade table. And I think bringing in Stevie J has proven to be um, a bit of a masterstroke. He gives them X Factor up forward, and I think, you know, despite his. Um, uh, shall we say, selfish style of football at times, he does know he has a lot of IP to bring with him. Um, and you can see a far more organised set up at GWS this year up forward. Uh, they're very potent. They're going to be hard to beat anywhere, I think. Yeah, I think it's only three or so weeks, maybe four weeks before we play them. So they're certainly going to be a great challenge for us to get over um, and um, it'll be a very, very interesting game on 28th of May, 7.10pm Saturday night. Just um, as we talk about our um, uh, our main subject matter of the podcast, the Adelaide Crows, what did we think of the game on Saturday afternoon? Um, I attended and um, it was a pretty, uh, as we all know, pretty ugly and scrappy affair. I, I, I thought that Frio, you know, they really, really defended very, very deeply um, and quite often, you know, when we've been watching football this year and we've seen um, some zones set across the sort of not as deep and so that when they do get out, um, we see a lot of, you know, goals out, out the back. And um, what they were doing is that they were just defending so deep that when I, I noticed on a number of occasions when they, they actually got themselves out that um, there was actually there was nobody at all to assist in any kind of transition. So they were holding the ball up at around, you know, around the sort of centre wing, centre area. Um, and not getting those easy transition goals. So they were just really, they just didn't appear as though they were trying to sort of chase the game at all. And, of course, we just got clogged up and jammed with space. And so it was a, in the end, it was a pretty ugly, pretty scrappy affair. But in the end, I thought, you know, at the start of the year, if you'd said, look, we'll beat Frio by 33 points at home um, in in round six, then, you know, you'd take that every day of the week, surely. Yeah. Well, I said less than a 10-goal win. I wasn't going to be happy. So I'm not happy. Because we were 10 goals up and then we just put the cue on the rack again. We did look really tired and it was very interesting them watching Hawthorne play the GWS game and how tired they looked as well. And I'm thinking, did something, that game we played against Hawthorne, did that take a little something out of 
each of us, or was it treated as such a final between both sides that there was the letdown? Well, certainly our tackle count was down on the weekend. Uh, our uncontested, uncontested possessions were up. Um, I don't think you could accuse us of playing Bruce free footy, but I think there might have been some uh, some niggles and some soreness carried into the game. It looked like, uh, I think uh, Scorpius and I were talking on Sunday night, that we we looked like we were just doing enough to win. Um, I, I was with you, Nick. I, I wanted a 10-goal win, and it pissed me off that we let them have the last you know 20-odd points of the game. Uh, you've got to wonder... If Ross Lyon has given the season away, which they clearly must have now at 6-zip, does he continue to persist with that defensive game style or does he now start to implement what I'm sure his Hawthorne assistants are trying to help him implement, which is a more attacking, free-flowing game that's going that's you know the, the current standard? Because if they, if they go through the whole year playing that style of football, that'll achieve nothing. Well, they were actually kind of attacking, but it was just incredibly poor kicking for goal because the wind there was absolutely atrocious. And it was kind of hilarious to me at the last quarter that players finally started compensating for the wind and the wind had died. And so there was, they were then mis-kicking again. Um, and that, that was holding us up because we were kicking with the wind and our kicks forward were going over the heads of our forwards just every single time. And, of course, Freer were mopping that up. So I think that didn't help it particularly in that first quarter was our delivery because we weren't smart. We didn't figure out that the wind was such a factor. Uh, we didn't adapt to the conditions. They didn't either. Uh, you know. No. Uh, the thing of it is, though, the, you can't say that Frio attacked at any point. They were kicking with the win and had two behind the ball. That's not attacking football, not in anyone's language. Um, no, they, 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 got, they, 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 they were the just time. trying. They were just trying to lose that game. Not trying to lose the game, but they were trying not to get beaten yep. by a big score. That, that, I that was yeah. how I, I read it. And look, I've seen you know teams in rebuild that have been like that. I mean, Melbourne, you know, classic for that, you know, where they're in rebuild and they're just trying to, I don't know whether it's just they're trying to not, you know, look too publicly bad in front of their supporters or, or what it is, but there just seems to be no real effort to win the game because it's almost like there's a realisation if we open the game up, if we create space, you know, for us to attack, then we're just going to get absolutely pulverised the other way. And and so um, it, it's almost like, well, let's just try and, you know, stem the flow, um, make it not look too bad, and then you know, at the end of the year, we'll, you know, we'll go to the draft and we'll go to the trade table and, and try and rebuild. So there's a couple of um, uh, questions. There's been a bit of talk about Matty Crouch. Uh, Pete, what do you think of his game? Look, look I didn't think it was, you know, I, I put it this way, I don't think it was his, his, his best for the season. I think he's played better. Um, but being a crouch, he still seems to um, rack up rack up numbers um, fairly easily. And I made the comment through the week. I wondered if those two guys just um, grew up in a really really small backyard, because at one stage in the in the Sandville game, I think Brad had you know five kicks and fifteen handballs, and, yeah. and Matt had some other ridiculous status. Well, I think that you know look, we both love the Crouch, but we love both the Crouch brothers. They bring a lot, and um, you know I don't think anyone would argue that they're they're not first 22 or anything like that. They're, I think they're terrific. I, I, I particularly like Matt Crouch. I think um, he's got you know so much potential and he does such a good job for us already when you think how young he is. But the only rider I put on these guys is that they just seem obsessed with overhandballing. And when when you're putting up numbers like you know five kicks and you know 15, 20 handballs, you just I really just don't think you're hurting teams and. You know, you need to be getting you know some meterage and some you know some constructive play. And I mean, there's obviously you know when they're playing you know close in the clinches, there's obviously going to be times where you know handball is 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 the obvious option. But they just don't seem to have a capacity to get out and create play by kicking the ball. They, they, it's a. I don't think any coach would like that kind of imbalance, to be honest. Well, if you have he a look at, at um, Crouchy's heat map, sorry, Nick. If you have a look at Crouchy's heat map. Um... From the weekend, most players have a, a, a spread, a red zone spread, you know, across a, an, a region of the ground, um, you know, across half back or up forward if they're a forward line player or whatever. Matt Crouch's heat map, red zone, and I'm not kidding you, 
was the center circle. The center circle. Hmm. So, and yes, he did get possessions outside of that, obviously, but it, most of his work was done within the, basically within the center circle. Now, that's not good enough for an inside mid when there's lots of stoppages around the ground as there was against Fremantle on the weekend. He needs to get himself involved more in general play, as far as I'm concerned, and also um, uh, a little bit more uh, in, in the round-the-ground stoppages as well. The thing that worries me is that, you know, I mean, we haven't had a lot of... I mean, we've had it bought maybe two games where, where both the brothers have actually been in the side. And I really just... And I don't think anybody wants to see a situation where the pair of them combine, you know, for 10 kicks and 30 handballs. Yeah, that's right. I was very, I was very disappointed with Crouch in the SNFL. He, even more so than Matt, he had that worst handball to kick ratio. And I didn't actually notice him too much. And then I looked at the stats and going, holy crap, he's had it how much? Yeah, he was doing touches. those. Yeah, he was doing those quick little handballs out. He did something I wasn't happy with either as well. He faked for a high free and it's like, sorry, Brad, you're better than that. You shouldn't be doing that. And that was in the first quarter. I think he might have got a bit of a talking to because that didn't happen for the rest of the game. But it was like, yeah, I know they're going after you, but you don't do that. Um, Matt was interesting because he did try and get some kicks, but they were awful, which was really unusual because he has actually been a lot better. So I wonder whether there was a little something going on there or not, whether an injury, high a niggle drop, or something. High ball drop in the wind, Nick. That's what that is. Is that what he was doing it? Well, that's what I reckon. Because he does, he drops it from Tex Walker high. Um, and he doesn't guide it down anywhere near as, as well as Tex does. Um, and I think that found him out. But he... He's he's actually got to become a multi-dimensional player. At the moment, he's a very one-dimensional player. He's fantastic in and under. But we've got Jared Lyons at half the price that'll do that for us. Um, we need Matt to show a little bit more class and, and be a bit more damaging in the vein of a Sam Mitchell. Matt Crouch has got the, got the capacity and the talent to be Sam Mitchell for us, um, but he's got to get on his bike more. Yeah, agree. Yeah, I agree, Phoenix. For me, the, the most disappointing thing in that first half was that our running player was Thompson, yeah. pretty much. He he was the only one who was really running, and Sloane oh, worked Sloane. his way in. Yeah, yeah. He, he wasn't as influential in the first half as what Thompson was. Um, Sloane then built into it even more and, and was awesome by the end of the game. But that first half was... Thompson was the one doing the running. You didn't see Seisman, you didn't see Atkins. But I think for them, they need that midfield to be getting the ball out to them. So whilst others might have a go at Seidman Atkins for being quiet in that first thing, it's no, we need to have a go at the midfield for not getting it to them. And once we actually started to get on top a bit more on the midfield, then you saw Seidman Atkins actually get more into the play. Yeah, I thought Ray had a nice game. Um, he um, it's just working into, and building into some some nice form. He, a couple of howlers early on, but I thought that you know mentally, obviously, he recovered well from that. He just you know kept kept searching for his targets, kept trying to use the ball. Didn't get off put by the fact that he made a couple of errors uh, early on, which I, which was pleasing to see. And um, just continues to I think um, feel more at home at, at that level, and and he. Um, Continues to sort of work at taking his time and, and making you know good decisions and um, and trying to do something useful with the ball every time he gets it. So I think he's developing nicely. Yeah, he is. It was that that in the last quarter where he did that defensive tackle. He should have committed to that earlier. He tends to when the ball gets turned over to the opposition, he tends to kind of jog and not commit as quickly as what I would like to see. But for me, that's more a learning. Thing. And once he actually realised that he could impact, then he put the afterburners on, got in and actually made the tackle, which was really great to see. But there was that first initial little instant of him just jogging, going, oh, this isn't my problem. Oh, hang on. No, I can help. And uh, as you've said before, Peter, it's a learning experience for him. And, and it's good to actually see that he did make that change that he needed to. I'd like to That's see Ray, 
Sorry, go on, Pete. Sorry, mate. I was just quickly going to say, you know, you're right. I mean, you know, what's that now? Fourteen games, and so we just need to just need to yeah. keep pumping games into him. You know, and get him to fifty games. I, what I'd like to see from um, Rat over time is that he develops his leg into more of a weapon. Um, he's the king of the hit-up 20-metre pass at the moment, which is great because apart from a couple of hiccups uh, in the wind last week, he, he nails pretty much every one of them. It would be great if he could do that over 40 metres, gain a little bit more. And he is capable of that. Yes, he's absolutely. He is capable of that. And so, Interesting. Yeah, you're right. Wig in the SNFL, I haven't. We know he's got that beautiful long leg. He hasn't used that in the SNFL yet. They've all been the shorter passes, which for him are about the 30, 40 metres, because <laughs> we know he can kick it further than that. But I've, I kind of find it interesting that there's, I think, a bit of a parallel with Wig and Atkins going on there. The other thing I would actually, the person I would like to single out, even though, yes, he did get cited and got a um, $1,000 fine. But I thought Hardigan, again, took another step forward in his development. And if he, if we'd lost him for I was actually quite worried that we might lose him for a game because I think his importance to our structure, but his importance also for attacking rebound has been very significant this season. Well, I absolutely agree with you, Nikki. He's, he was absolutely terrific. I thought on Saturday he was just really, really good in the one-on-one contests. Um, and uh, you know, just his judgment in, on, on the you know the flight of the ball coming in as well. He judges the ball beautifully, so he does all those really really good things that you want. You know your you know your defensive measures that you want your your defenders to do. And as you say, you know, with some confidence and experience, starts to to run off as well. And he's another one that you know you just need to get. You know, as Phil Walsh said last year, you've got to get these guys to fifty games. Um, and uh, you know, you, you, there's some growing pains, of course, and you've just got to, you know, you, 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 if you see the talent, you've got to suck up the fact that you know you, you're going to get some, you know, crappy performances here and there. Um, but you know, he's now developing really, really nicely. And hilariously, he turned up in his nice shiny Toyota truck down at the SNFL, parked his um, car, so it was nice and close to the goals and there was him, Lever, Brown and they were eventually joined as well by Charlie Cameron cheering on the boys and they were quite loud about it particularly any time Alex Keith got near the ball there would be them shouting out Keithy and Keith man and it was just quite we were sitting a bit further away but you could just hear them and to me that was actually kind of nice that they were there to support their teammates in the lower level. Yeah. Uh, um, Vardy Magic on the chat raises two good points in one statement. First of all, uh, I'd be interested in your thoughts on Cheney, Pete, because as you, we've, the, the board's found a new whipping boy, haven't they? Yeah, look, I just want to be really, really clear on my thoughts on Kyle Cheney. Um, I don't have, and I'm, I think I've said this, I don't have any particular you know, man love for him in the way that I've always had for the rat, for example. Um, <clears throat> but I just think that if you, it, it's just ridiculous that each and every week you get on the board and, and, and there's always, you know, um, it's the first thing everybody mentions, oh, you know, Chini's responsible for five goals, Chini's responsible for six goals. And it just seems to have been the most mindless beat up um, of, of criticism of a player. Um, I mean, you know, I'll, over the years, I always thought that, you know, VB and McKay, you know, they, they were our classic wooden balls, but I thought that they really, you know, most of the time those guys really deserved it. But I've just seen, <clears throat> excuse me, nothing. And I think that the one, where, where, where I really, really took this on, I think, and took it by the, um, took it by the scruff of the neck was, and got my teeth into it, was I, re- I decided to sit down and I watched, um, very, very carefully. I, I replayed a whole game, which was the NAB, NAB three game against the Gold Coast. Yeah, and, and and I actually I actually recorded that, and I thought, right, I'm going to sit this, sit down and watch this, and all I'm going to do is sit down. I'm going to write comments every time this guy guy goes near the ball, and you know, <clears throat> there was just no correlation between what was being said and what actually happened. You know, and then and the other thing is, you know, where all credibility on this guy was lost was after the Richmond game, you know, and the same old stuff's trotted up and, and he's in the coaches' votes. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous that when you've got a team that's playing, you know, we're playing team defence, we're playing a zone defence, and you can't be blaming one defender when you're playing a zone defence and you've got one guy who, you know, in particular him, he's obviously under instruction to be coming off his man and, and, and chopping out um, Talia and Hardigan on the key forwards. And so, you know, if, if that's what he's doing and, and he must be under instruction to do that for the amount of times you see him do it and he does it successfully, you know, you can't then, you know, be blaming one person because who's covering for him? Well, exactly right. And I, I'm 100,000% with you, Pete. I think Cheney has done particularly well. Uh, yes, he makes mistakes. They all make mistakes. Um, Everybody does. He's not getting the goals kicked on in that a lot of people are, are sprouting just because they see him next to a player that kicks a goal. They think that he's been on him all game. Cheney's value is in that third man up in, in the marking contest when you've got Hardigan and Talia manned up against their opponents. The amount of, if, if I had a dollar for every time Cheney's come in over the, over the top, and Lever for, for that matter, but the both of them, they're obviously charged with that responsibility to kill the contest as much as possible. It's a definite strategy that we're using this year um, rather than going one out, and it's working. And one of the reasons it's working is because Cheney is being very effective at that role. Can't knock him. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, mate. And for me, it's the experience, the age of him that is actually key to our very young defence. Yes, he doesn't have a huge amount of games in terms of the AFL, but he's got that experience and I think he's actually got that calming um, sort of influence that, that helps our, our youngsters and they see him come up and they see him do those intercepts. It gives them, I think, a, a bit of confidence. He's not a sexy player, simple as that. No. He's, he's workmanlike, he, he's... Um a good, average, solid, workmanlike player, and every team needs them. Um, and I think the, the one thing that our defence lacks is some uh, 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 one dynamic player. I think we're a little do- uh, one pace down back. Um, and whether Cheney eventually gives way to a player that gives us a little, little bit more spark and a little bit more uh, agility and pace deep, in our defence, I'm not sure, but he doesn't deserve to get dropped on form. No, and it may, it may be that he's just keeping us, you know, a spot there for, for, for Dode or or whoever. And and you know, uh, as I said, I've got no particular you know man love for him in the sense that I'm sure that I'm sure that eventually you know we can get players that, that may play that role better. But at the moment, you know, he's he's very very serviceable in the role. He doesn't make the mistakes that people allege that he makes, uh, and and I think. You know, it, it, it's a very, very interesting study in human behaviour because what happens is, is that you know, um, people people see what they want to see, and so and so when, when one of the um, the loveys, as I call them, when one of the when one of the BF loveys make a mistake, well, we just you know we just look past it and we just keep watching the game. But oh my goodness, if if Kyle Cheney if he makes a mistake, well, that's just cause for a meltdown. And, um, and and that's the only thing, the only part of his game that's focused on. It's really quite a bizarre, quite a bizarre group thing. I'm sure that there's a there's a PhD in there for someone somewhere <laughs> yeah. um, in, in in Kyle Cheney, I think. But anyway, well, um, the other that, side. Of... <laughs> Jake Kelly has fractured his hand at the wrong time. Yeah, that's a shame. Well, we've already let out for two to three as well now too. So yeah. uh, that's well, a really in- interesting. Who comes uh, situation. In? I, I, I vote Miller down in the back half. <laughs> well, actually, that's a good segue uh, because um, I think that having having a look at uh, the changes through this week, I think that thirty eight pages by Tuesday night is just not enough. We need to talk a little bit more about <laughs> yeah. how uh, how in and out. I avoided that thread. I had a look around. You know that the only the closest any other team has in their changes is 15 pages. That's Hawthorne. They had 15 pages. We've got 38. And so that's after in, a win. They lost. And that, that's after a win. So I think that I think 22 out of the 38 is devoted to trying to find ways to reshuffle the team to get Cheney out of it. I mean, some of this, 
Well, you know, we've got we've got McGovern going back, we've got Miller going back, all the, all just so that we can get Cheney on the side. It's just the most absurd commentary I've ever seen. But anyway, um, we know that Rory Laird's missing this week. That's going to be a huge loss. I still think that um, if it's a one-week um, injury, I think that there's probably more chance that the coaching staff will just try and shuffle the side and cover it. But when it's a three-week injury, I'm not sure that they are so keen to shuffle the side for three weeks. I think that you're looking more at a direct replacement. Um, and for me, as much as it's distasteful and none of us like it, I think that it puts VB in the frame. Um, no, no. They might go <clears throat> Anderson. And and honestly, after what I saw on the weekend, I would much prefer VB. I don't want Henderson, Henderson down there either. No, Henderson, when South started to get the run on in the last quarter, it was because Henderson decided he didn't want to chase anybody anymore. That was somebody else's problem. Yeah, but that's him. That's him to a T. And yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't want to see him anywhere near the team me. ever again. Nikki, I've got a question for you. You were there. Um, yeah. I abs- yeah. absolutely respect your opinion and your views. What an, an objective, unbiased view of BB's game on the weekend? Um, quite good. He knows how to get himself into the right positions, um, where to help the rest of his teammates. The problem. I have, and my father discussed it at the time, is, yeah, we both agree that the AFL's gone past him, but he's brilliant for our team in the SNFL. If we need to pull him into the AFL, he's going to come in, he's going to give 110%, he's going to give everything that he possibly can, but it's not going to be a long-term prospect. So in terms of playing the Bulldogs, I'm kind of interested as to whether... They're going to think about the speed of Henderson or do they want maybe a little bit more security in terms of VB? Because I think VB's been very solid is how I'll describe it. He hasn't been outstanding, but they've played him entirely in the back lines. He has not gone into the midfield once in the SNFL. Well, you've got to look at Phoenix. the way Western. Well, you've got to look at the way Western Bulldogs played on Friday night. Yeah, and I don't. Uh, there's been a noticeable deceleration in their transition work. Well, there certainly was against North Melbourne, um, and I think given their their recent injuries, that's um, probably a, a prudent and necessary tweak by Beveridge. Um, but what it does is it it, it makes them an, a slightly different proposition in terms of matchups. The danger in having VB in next week is that we're going to be too slow. We've got Talia, we've got Hardigan, we've got Chaney. All right, Hardigan Hardigan's and Chaney. fast. Yeah, no, you say it every week. But he's still... People don't understand that he is. Yeah, no, I get it. But Luke Dowhouse will still out-jig him. He's not... He's not. Uh, you know, Hardigan will match up on, a, on a, maybe a Jake Stringer. Um, he'll probably get first crack at him, I'd imagine. Um, but it's their it's their um, midfield that that are going to cause us damage, particularly at Eddie Had, and I don't think having VB in the side is actually going to be of any benefit whatsoever. I'd be tempted to bring in Riley Knight, to be honest with you. Yeah, he didn't have the best of games, but he built into it um, quite well. The other, the left field one was I thought was what they might do with Wig as to whether he's a possibility, but he is quite slight. But we know he can play down back if we need to, even though we have been playing in the midfield. The impression I got from the Bulldogs-North game was that as long as you pressure at them at the moment with the way they are, they're very, they will fold. They can't get that speed through. And I think North gave us a really good blueprint on how to shut them down. Well, they just pressed up on them, and you're right, Nick. Um, they do need to to be to have a bit more frontal pressure on them uh, to 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 keep them on the back foot. VB's not going to give us that. Um, no, Harry Wig's not going to give us that. Henderson's not going to give us that. We need night, whoever, night. whoever we get in there needs to be able to apply defensive pressure. And I think out of out of all the options, Riley Knight gives us enough flexibility to be able to throw the team around like Pete said before um, because we're almost going to be covering... Uh, the, 
our, our defence needs to be centred around their attacking midfielders more so than their forward line, really. So it's suggested that Brad, Brad Crouch in and then putting Atkins and Seedsman can swing back. Atkins, hell no. Seedsman's a possibility, um, and he has been doing that a little bit, but I think we would prefer to keep him more on the wing. But also, Eddie had, you can actually play that very attacking off halfback. So he's a possibility that, that we could do. So that would mean that Knight comes in. I think I think that I think that uh, Crouch would come in for lines. Unfortunately, I think that um, Rue was apparently talking on radio about a couple of unlucky players this week. And I, I think, as much as I think that Jared Lyons has done a good job, and um, <clears throat> I think he would be desperately unlucky to be dropped. But I, I have a feeling that he'll make way for Brad Crouch. I think that then there's um, Miller also to come in. Um, and I think Miller did better than Crouch did. Yeah, no, I, I, I would absolutely believe that because I tell you what, I'd rather. You know, 11 kicks, 11 handballs and three goals than, you know, five kicks and 38 handballs. But anyway, that's just me. But um, I think that obviously Brad Crouch will come in. Uh, Miller, I think, will come in as well. Now, it's going to be a, a situation. Do they bring in the repla- – I think I started off with this. Do they bring in the replacement for Laird or do they bring in Miller and put him on a wing and then interrupt that lovely balance that we've had with Seedsman and, and Atkins? I, I really – you know, it's, a, it's six one half dozen the other. In many respects, I really hope they don't interrupt that 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 nice um, role playing that we've got going on there with Seedsman. And you know, I have a funny feeling. I don't know, and this is just completely a little bit of a segue, but a little bit off the cuff. Does anyone think that they might have sat down with Seedsman and said, and because you know there was this business about whether he was going to come to Adelaide or not? Do you think someone got in his ear and said, you know what, we don't want you to play defence, mate. You don't have to worry about playing defence. At Adelaide, we see you. We see you as a as a free running wingman, just to, just using. Your line. Do you reckon? Do you reckon that? Do you reckon that might have been why we got him over the line? He did talk about that our values aligned with his values. Um, he has played a little bit down back when we've needed him to, but I I think there was the discussion of that you would mostly be through the midfield. Yes, occasionally but, we can use a bound back. So I I think that that conversation might have been tinged a little towards that way, but not fully the way you just said it, Pete. And ironically, Seeds actually worked back quite a bit in the uh, Frio game. He did quite a bit of nice work defensively last weekend. Um, so I Yeah, he's been, do- he's been doing some really good defensive run to assist because we keep talking about the seven that go through our back lines. Mm. They don't say yeah, six, no- they say seven. No- no doubt that both him and Atkins, as part of their role, go go back deep. No question, yeah. um, and and th- they've been doing that all season. But it's it's more of a it's it's not so much um, neither of them so much have a sort of a tight checking role or anything like that. They just they just move back down and 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 pick up sort of each side of the zone if that's if that makes sense. But anyway, I, that's a bit of a I digress a little bit there. But I, in many respects, I really wouldn't want to see that interrupt. And that's what I was saying before about the shuffle. Do we really want to shuffle for three weeks um, and, and interrupt? I don't think we will. No, so I think for me, um, Miller could possibly come in for Cameron, and that's that's controversial probably. But um, you know, Rue said there was going to be two very unlucky players. I think that's the most like for like replacement. So I think that's a potential as well. And I think that the uh, the third change will be the lead replacement, which I think I like your idea of Riley Knight, um, but I think that my gut feel is that they'll go for VB. Mm. Bit yeah, of a this, question this mark is going to be very interesting. Mc, bit of a question mark still over McGovern too. I think. I think of the he was three, very, he was very poppy at the end. Yeah, of the three um, scary injuries, uh, Seed I think is all right. Um, uh, Jakey Lever just got a stinger by the looks of it, but I, I don't think Mitch is quite right. He might have strained strained a PCL, I reckon. Well, that, he that landed quite right as well. He landed and very quite, heavily on the hip. That could quite easily be the out for Miller coming in, which would leave Cameron in if yeah. if, if McGovern doesn't come up. Yeah. So that's the easy yeah. fix there. Yeah. I mean, Vardy Magic just talked about Cameron's aggression is not to be underestimated. Yes, but he didn't provide the attacking as well as what we know he can do. And Miller is also aggressive. And I think Miller has 
a little bit more class than Cameron. This is a really nice problem to have. Do you have Cameron in or do you have Miller? And um, Damp Squid also pointed out quite nicely that Seisman loves the tackle. I've quite enjoyed watching his tackling this year. He's not afraid of going in hard at all, which is very, very pleasing to see. I should make the point that I'm a huge fan of Charlie Cameron, and I, I would be very, very happy to see him stay in the team. But, but, I, but I, what I'm doing is I'm just taking the cue from what Rashido said on the radio, and that is that there was going to be two very unlucky players. Yeah. Well, and it begs yeah. the question, Pete, what the hell input does Rue have? Because he's only a board member. No. He, should, he shouldn't have any freaking idea what's going on at selection, and that worries me slightly. I think that's just well, him talking about what he thinks is going to happen. Yeah, that's right. And so that, that's not, you know, that's not gospel at all. So, you know, no, and... I... Rui has been known to set the scene early in the week before for a, for a, an agenda for the week. And it bothers me a little. As much as I love Rui and what he's done at the club, I just hope he's not micromanaging too much. I see Damp, Damp Squibb there uh, coming out in... Um... Uh, support of Charlie Cameron and mate, I, I absolutely, I absolutely agree with you. I, I don't, I really don't want to see him dropped, but I just have that bad feeling that he he may be squeezed out for Miller um, because they obviously, I, I'd suggest, want to get him back in the team. All right, um, we're heading towards the end of the uh, what's been a really, really um, interesting and and enjoyable hour. Um, but so we just want to have a. I guess have a little bit of a look at what how we think the result will go. I, I hate this fixture. I, every year there's three fixtures that I hate that I never, ever want to see in the program, and that's the Bulldogs at Etihad, <laughs> Geelong at Skilled Stadium, and uh, West Coast over in Perth. Those three games, you can just draw a line through those at the start of the season because you're just not going to win them. And so I just, you know, for me, um, I just don't see us winning this game. Sorry, I know that's a bit negative, but I just, you know, I've... I can think of how many times I've sat there and analysed those three fixtures, thinking that you know we've got a chance, and every time we just go, we, we go out there and we get blown out of the water in all three fixtures, and so can't see it. I'm probably going to tip Bulldogs, but I think this is one of our best chances we've got for knocking them off. And Eddie had with the way they're playing at the moment, their injuries that they've got, and I think we might be. Just that little bit of a step ahead if we play to our best. Lead is a huge out, though. So I'm tipping the Bulldogs, but I'm hoping that I got the tip wrong. Yeah, I, um, I'm i a little bit different to you guys. I didn't. I wasn't overly impressed with the Bulldogs against North Melbourne on Friday night last week, um, and I understand... Um, we're playing on their favourite deck and all the rest of it. But the team had a little bit of a rest after their um, their couple of hard weeks against Sydney and uh, Hawthorne. Um, but I think this next stretch of three games will make or break our season. And if the team don't go over to, the, to Eddie Had on Saturday night ready to play, then they don't deserve to be in the top four this year. And on paper... And on form, we should beat the Western Bulldogs by five goals. And I've got, I've got, a, I'm holding faith that we're going to turn up. Uh, if we turn up, we win five goals. And a nice shout out to Vardy Magic, who has said that Cheney says Talia says we've got them covered. <laughs> yeah, a bit of, bit of gold there from Vardy Magic as we Is, as we went up this evening. Scott, just sorry, on mate. that. Sorry, just on that. Isn't it incredible that? Beveridge and Bontempelli and a couple of others are still crapping on about that. I mean, they they've got an axe to grind about this, and I think it's it's. They talked about rivalry. Uh, they touched on rivalry on a couple of the footy shows last night. Uh, I think it's a one way street. I really don't think we give a rat's ass, to be honest. Yeah, we but, don't give a but, shit. But they said, I'm sure we do. don't. I, I think that they just they're just trying to. They're just trying to build up something just to get themselves get their, get their teeth sunk into it to give some motivation. I'm sure that's all it is. No, beverage, be- beverage really has an issue about it. He's and this is why I don't rate beverage anymore. Just the way he reacted about it last year, the whinge he had about the fact that it wasn't played at Eddie had. Sorry, mate. Grand finals played at the MCG, and if your game plan doesn't work at the MCG, you're not going to win a final. 
Well, the um, intimation going to count. The intimation was that essentially in the aftermatch, um, beverage has gone right. Put that aside. We've got the t- we've got the game that we've been waiting for all year coming up this week. So you got to get your, put that one behind us and get yourselves up for this one. Essentially, apparently, is what was said in the in the post match coach's address after the North Melbourne loss. Yeah, well, it's a and you know that's it's not a good. it's a way to fire it's a way to fire up his team. Oh and, uh, yeah, that's but obviously is. yeah, but there's got to be fuel to be fired, Pete. So obviously, uh, like that wouldn't have any motivational impact on the players if the players didn't give a shit. Uh, well, possibly, possibly. I, I think anyway. that the I think he's just trying to get into their heads and 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 fire them up. But you you might be right. But anyway, it should be a good game and. Um, we're just about out of time, I think. Um, it's been, as always, been brilliant to have Tuesday Night Live. We thank all of the people that messaged in and uh, gave us some stuff to go on with. We really appreciate your input. And uh, uh, we try and um, take the topics that you raise and, uh, and have a bit of a chat about them. So it, uh, it's always uh, good to have that interactive feedback. So we appreciate that. Nikki, thanks very much for your time this evening and all of your expert comments. Hope your concussion feels a little bit better. And... Um, <laughs> And Phoenix, thanks always, uh, as always, for your technical support and getting us up and running. Thanks, mate. My pleasure, mate. Bye. It's been good, good chatting. Good one. See you next week.